do you copy? Alpha, I'm not receiving you. Now, maybe you're receiving me. The moon is going out of the Earth's orbit. That explosion, it has pushed us out of the Earth's orbit. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes, and I'm here with several good friends. John Hyatt. Say hi, John. Hey, hey there. <laughs> Kurt Greenfield. Good morning. And last but not least, Tim Elliott. Hey, Hello. Tim. Hello. We've got a lung buster of a show for you, as Dave Endocrine would say. And the only reason why that's on my mind is that I happen to have visited Endocrine and Associates this week. They're my doctors for my uh, diabetes. So <laughs> for some reason, it stuck out in my mind. Anyway, uh, we've got a lot of fun for you. Tib's going to give us uh, the rundown on a really old uh, issue of Space 1999 by Charlton Comics. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Um, I always like looking at the, uh, the older, older work and uh, how it was produced. I think, you know, it's one of those things where you look at the printing of it being having, having been printed on basically uh, a machine that's designed to print cereal boxes. And when you look at the, uh, the way that it's printed on the page, it, you can tell that there's something different about it versus regular comic book printing. This is true. I didn't know. I didn't That's know that. Did, did Charlton start out as a, uh, as a uh, like a manufacturer for uh, comic, uh, uh, cereal boxes? No, you know. I mean, the thing is, they were they've been a normal uh, publication uh, company since what the forties, nineteen forty six, I believe. And when um, they acquired, I believe this this printing machine. And it, I mean, it was still being used for a lot of different things, but it's one of those machines where it has to be used constantly or it will start to deteriorate. And so they would use it to print comic books hmm. along with everything else they did. Okay. Um, I still don't have the full story on that and I'm gonna have to research it more because uh, I, I just was very limited on, on time. But, uh, you know, the other thing I found out is, and I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but uh, they've been working since uh, 2016, 2017 on a, uh, a movie about Charlton Comics. And yeah, it's a, it's a documentary. And of course, they're going, they've gone to all the writers and artists and editors and such that are still alive and uh, done some great interviews, John Byrne included. And uh, right now they're basically in the editing process and they put out uh, last August a call for help. They're asking for post-production interns to assist with the offline editing of the documentary. And that's the last that's been, you know, last uh, update they've put out uh, asking for that. So, I mean, you know, it's like if you've got, the, you know, some uh, skills there, you might want to go to charltonmovie.com and see if uh, you can get some work done. Now, it's probably not going to pay anything, and they are asking for everybody to donate with PayPal to help them finish the movie. But uh, I, I know that Byrne had mentioned it a few times on his own site, and other people showed a lot of interest. Uh, looks to be a, a very friendly gathering of uh, all the people. And I know that Byrne looked, looks upon that uh, era of his work as a great learning experience uh, in, in putting his craft together. I always saw Charlton as kind of the Roger Corman of comics. People exactly kind of come exactly. up through the ranks, start there, and then they go on to bigger things. Where was Charlton located? Uh, let me see. They were 
Derby, some... Connecticut, originally. Derby, Connecticut? I was going to yeah. guess Sparta, Illinois, but I can't tell you why. I have no <laughs> idea. Yeah, they were founded in 1945, and um, just, uh, like Tim said, yeah, it's like the, the Roger Corman and, and uh, it, it's, it was one of those things where they were able to get a lot of, uh, you know, the things like Six Million Dollar Man, Space 1999, and they even, you know, created some good books like Doomsday, Doomsday Plus One, which we've covered before on the show, and we'll cover again. Um, now, which what, what are we covering, Tim? We're covering Space 1999, number three, issue three, which is Burns' first. It's not the first issue of the, the series, but it's his first issue. Yeah, I believe Joe Statton did the uh, previous two. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, was a big, um, it, he was a big know, name at Trouble. Amazingly, this, this book is, is rather easy to find. I, I've, I've seen it on eBay for as low as $6. Um, I've got a couple copies of this one myself, but people have, you know, ones I bought and ones I've been given over the years. Well, I want to give a shout out to Scott Gardner because he uh, he let us know on Facebook that he has this copy. Uh, so hopefully he will follow along uh, this our show with his book. And um, Scott, when you hear the tone, it's time to turn the page. So, <laughs> but this is this is an issue I took uh, last year in Dallas. We went to see Byrne when he was there with Shatner. This is one of the books I took to have him sign. He kind of when he saw it, he kind of. You know, reacted to it and he kind of showed it to the um, the guy next to him that you know I guess he couldn't remember he or couldn't realize he was uh, signing something so old, so he kind of got a kick out of it. Or maybe he was just shocked that somebody wanted him to sign something other than um, X Men One Thirty Seven. Well, that's nice. I mean, I'm sure he gets. It's like, you know, you don't send me the same comics. Give me something else. You know, I've done more yeah. than just this one run. Yeah. yeah, and, and no. you know, Byrne is notoriously uh, not a big fan of doing, you know, like uh, photo reference on characters. But he did go to, you know, good uh, efforts to, you know, reproduce the cast very well on this. And, yeah, you know, when, when he fun. was at Marvel and they did Indiana Jones, uh, he had such a horrible experience on that one. But apparently his experiences here were not not as bad. I've got an interesting quote from him when we get into it. Okay. Uh, before we get into it, you said we have, uh, briefly, you said we've got a new um, iTunes review. Scott, and since you're the uh, champion of iTunes reviews, you want to read it? You said Scott? Who's Did I say Scott? I meant You said Brian. Scott. I said Scott. <laughs> yeah. I'm Scott. Uh, I've got Scott Garner in my brain. Brian, yeah, I'm getting, sorry. We are getting new <laughs> iTunes ratings, and uh, we did get one iTunes review. It's uh, very short and sweet by uh, PGB98. And they said, listening is like reliving your childhood by remembering past burn issues that I bought weekly. Very short and sweet. and yeah, uh, just, Nice. Yeah, very. thank you very much. And we can always use more iTunes reviews or Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it today. Um but we know that uh, we we seem to be getting more listeners, and uh, you you know it's it's uh, we we hope you all are really enjoying what we're doing. Just give us the feedback. Let us know what you think about it. Email us at gotta get burned at gmail com. We'll have the link on the page, and we'll go over it again here at the end of the show. Okay. You guys want to get into it? Absolutely. No, I, hang on. Uh, I got oh, one yes. more thing. Oh, that's right. We have some more house housekeeping. Yeah, this is Kirk Greenfield. Uh, last episode, we were discussing 
the uh, Incredible Hulk Annual number seven. And uh, as my premise for uh, why I was so suspicious about the book, I pointed to an older book by Jack Kirby, uh, the Fantastic Four Annual number five. And I explained why I became critical and looked for certain things. After that uh, episode published, I shared on Facebook a couple of my theories, my, my ideas about that uh, Fantastic Four annual. And I heard from uh, a fan, uh, a fellow Facebook uh, contributor, that I had started from an incorrect premise. I hung my hat on a yellow arrow on a, a very curiously drawn, unbalanced box. And I thought it was a next issue, next issue box. However, um, it was pointed out to me that it was a correction in the artwork. Apparently, Jack Kirby drew Crystal in that scene, forgetting that she had stayed behind at the beginning of the book and was not supposed to be present. That was caught in the production process, and the solution was they decided to erase her and slide Johnny Storm over and instead use the extra space with this um, arrow, just a, little, a bit of hype or fluff by, uh, by Stan Lee. And that's why it seems so clunky. So I, I have to uh, thank Adrian Day for pointing that out for me. It's very clear that my initial premise on why that might have been there was wrong. And so uh, let's just back up and erase the entire last episode. <laughs> I, I'm joking. Um, I, I still think my, my concerns about the Hulk annual are, are correct. I still have my suspicions that, um, that it started out life as something different, and we can still see some of those scenes. I just got off on the wrong foot years ago with that Fantastic Four annual. So thank you, Adrian, for pointing that out, and I wanted to share that. If I can find the graphic that he shared that shows the original artwork of that panel versus what was published, I'll share that, even though it's not John Byrne. Oh, that's fine. And, you know, we had, we actually had someone in our uh, Facebook forum try to comment that something that was shared was not burn-related. And, and, you know, I'll say right now, and I said it there, is that, you know, our forum isn't restricted to burn-related material. I don't mind if, if, if and, uh, and I'm hoping Tim doesn't mind either, that if people post other things. I don't care. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, all we're trying to do is get good-spirited conversation uh, going on and you know John Byrne of course is the focus of what we're doing but he's not everything that uh, no, we enjoy yeah. right. and if anything comic fans love to point out when somebody's wrong uh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> alright well let's uh, get into it then alright uh, I'm going to read the synopsis but I'm first before I do that I'm going to give a quick just in case any of our listeners and maybe some of the younger listeners uh, are not familiar with Space 1999 I'm going to give you a just a, a you know the quick quick rundown on that. It's a it's a Jerry Anderson show, and if you don't know who Jerry Anderson is, he would did Thunderbirds, Thunderbirds, <laughs> Supercar, Supercar, Fireball, XL Seven, Five, right? Five, XL Five. He did all the puppet shows. So, so and hey, he, wait, excuse me, Super Marionettes, Sir, Super Marionation, yeah, Super, Super Marionettes. You know, oh, I've got the great. Trust me, I've, I've got. This isn't Kukla Flan and uh, Fran and no. Ollie. No, <laughs> but you know, if you want to learn about any of the Jerry Anderson shows, you need to check out the Palace of Glittering Delights here on the Two True Freaks Network. Uh, Andrew Leyland has done a retrospective on on so many of uh, the the shows Anderson's put out over the years. And it's so, a great uh, documentary, I think, on. Uh, Amazon Prime about Gary uh, Jerry Anderson and his work. Uh, 
And he he did he's done some amazing stuff. Uh, Derek Metting, who was the uh, effects supervisor, is went on to do a lot of stuff for Bond because they did they were doing such great stuff with models. Um, Captain Scarlet is a great uh, Captain Scarlet, and then there's another one. Um, um, Anyway, I can't remember the name. Of it. Anyway, it, he does a lot of he did a lot of great shows, and then he wanted to do some. Him and his wife wanted to do live action, so they did UFO. And when that ended, they did Space 1999 with Martin Landau and his then wife um, Barbara Bain from Mission Impossible, and it ran for two seasons from '75 to '77. And the quick premise is the we have a, a moon base called Moon Base Alpha, uh, amongst their other chores. They also store all of Earth's nuclear waste, which seems a little counterproductive to you know, have to send it up into the moon. But anyway, they store it. There's an accident. There's a huge explosion. The moon gets ripped out of the Earth's orbit and goes flying off on its own. So that's the premise of the show is they are a rogue moon and they're going to encounter you know, aliens from various places. So that is the premise and that's kind of where we're at now. So is everybody caught up now? Yep. Mm -hmm. Can you identify the prime characters, the the key characters? Uh, there is John Koenig, who's the commander. That's uh, that's Martin Landau. He's the commander of the base. Uh, Barbara Bain is the head medical officer. She's like the Doctor Crusher. That's uh, Helena Russell. Russell. Uh, the science advisor is Victor Bergman. He's the, kind of the Mister Spock. Uh, and that's the three we're going to deal with in the comic. There are others that, were, that I can't off the uh, top of my head remember. I've only seen the episodes probably once going through this. You had um, um, Xena. Uh, the shape changing from was, season two? No, it was uh, Sandra, Sandra, who was uh, like the communications officer. Alan Carter, who was the uh, pilot. pilot. Kind of the, the, the eagle pilot, wasn't he? Yeah, he was an eagle pilot. He was the go-getter kind of guy. Um Paul, Paul Morrow, Paul. Um, and then there was a lot of other characters that kind of were always present, but um, I don't think they really focused on them too much. It was really the the uh, the, the, the main three, three that they, the big three, they yeah. did with a lot. It's a pretty. Uh, did, did you guys watch? I never watched it as a child because it because it was kind of a, a British show. You would kind of I knew of it, and you would see it occasionally, but it wasn't. Readily available as a Star Trek was so uh, until I put it on. I think it's on Hulu right now. Um, I never really sat down and watched all the episodes all the way through. I don't think I've seen an entire episode, but I caught the closed credits once or twice late at night on the seventh, uh, you know, the 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 uh, seventh channel down the listing that was uh, ninety miles away from Detroit through snowy, you know, just bad reception bad publicity uh, so i've never seen an entire episode it's got a great I... opening uh the opening song or the, the music is pretty cool it's a very jazzy uh kind of dramatic uh, jarring yeah i do I, have I an remember... interesting sonya story for later on okay. in the broadcast oh yeah. i remember my my uh, <clears throat> my my dad of course was uh the controller of the tv in my youth for you know prime time and and such and so when it when it did show, I think my dad tried to watch it once, and uh, it was a, an episode that just bored him to tears. So we didn't we didn't go back to it. And I, I really didn't have any memories of it other than the commercials for it. Um, so I, I didn't really get a good chance to watch it back then. I did watch an episode 
uh, several weeks back, and it was it was of course the pilot episode, and I, I was struck by the uh, the production values for the day, and uh, you know how it in ways tried to distance itself from Star Trek, and at the same time carried some of the tropes of it. Um, the costuming, of course, was. Uh, you know, very Star Trek the motion picture like too, in, in in my opinion. Well, they tried to. She, uh, his wife, uh, Sylvia Anderson, did all of the costume designs for the the marionettes when they did the the you know the marionette shows, and I think she's responsible for uh, these costumes, which are except aside from the flared pants and the kind of disco boots are not bad except for that huge zipper that goes down the arm that's, yeah <laughs> that's so obvious that bird is captured pretty well in this first uh this first cover uh art we're looking at interesting enough one of the writers uh of the first two seasons is a is a, a writer named johnny Byrne. Hmm. oh that's right yeah yeah he also wrote a lot for doctor who i used to watch this show i mean my my dad also controlled tv <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, for some reason, he would let us watch it. I guess uh, he, we were so excited about it that uh, this and Battlestar Galactica were two of the TV shows that we were that we could watch that were not Dad's normal <laughs> interest of detective shows and you know uh, that kind of stuff uh, back then. But I used to, I really looked forward to it. And as a kid, I just ate this up. And I lo- I've seen several episodes now, and they're still good. The pacing, uh, if you compare the pacing of this show to today's show, today's types of um, productions, it's very, very uh, measured moving. Uh, I don't want to say slow because that sounds negative, but it, it just progresses at a different pace than what we see today. And it's, it's very interesting. And for anyone who is interested in checking out Space 1999, but you just don't really want to sit through an hour episode. And these are almost like full hours. Uh, they're very long episodes compared to yeah. the day. Um, just look at, just watch the opening credits because you basically get the entire, what happens in the entire episode in the opening credits. Which I always thought was cool. It's kind of, uh, it's it, they, and it's almost like, you know, Mission Impossible is the same thing. You would mm-hmm. see little snippets of the episode throughout the whole opening. So. Yeah. Yeah, and interesting enough, uh, Martin Landau and Barbara Bain were both on Mission Impossible. Yep, I think yeah. that's where they came from, because uh, they were still married at this time, and it came from um, they came from that. Because he 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 did they both did three seasons, and that ended in '69, I think. And um, then an interesting Star Trek connection, Little Nimoy took over as um, his spot. Paris. Yeah, he was Paris. So. And they just got rid of her, and they had kind of rotating girl that came in after that. I'm a I'm a huge Mission Impossible fan too, so that's oh, one wow. reason I kind of interested to watch that. Um, and also um, a Lucy Arnaz production, Desilu. Wow, that's, that's true. That's true. Well, that's why you, if you ever watch Mission Impossible, it's like spot the Star Trek actor because you'll see the same actors, like oh, guest and, and actors, back and music, forth. The music, the yeah. music, and and you could hear almost some of the same musical beats that you heard on Star Trek uh, on Mission yeah. Impossible. So yeah, you had definitely a lot of a lot of cross-pollination there. Yep. Yeah. So, the first episode for Space 1999 we're going to cover is what, number three? Yeah, first... and I was looking at um, that book. It, of course, came out in March 1976. And Tim, do you want me to go ahead and cover this? 
Uh, if you want to, I've got it because I'm doing the synopsis. But if you want to, if you want to, yeah, it, so we'll it, split it the came difference. out March 1976. The only other book that Byrne worked on that month was, of course, Doomsday Plus One, issue number five, The Rule of Fear, which was also published by Charlton Comics. And um, of course, uh, the Doomsday Plus One books uh, got. Uh, a good number of reprints over the years. Uh, the fact is, is that uh, he he only did six issues, and then they reprinted all six issues. So it was a twelve issue series, and then they had that one uh, uh, missing issue that uh, got published in the Charlton Bullseye. And uh, I think we want to cover that at some time in the future. Um, so the book, of course, Space nineteen ninety nine number three was published by Charlton Comics. It has a cover date of March 1976 and a non-sale date of December 16, 1975. Had a cover price of 25 cents and a page count of 32 issues. It was edited. Uh, the editor, of course, was George R. Wildman. Uh, the story title is Bring Them Back Alive. It's got 22 pages. And it was writer Nicola Cutie. Is it Cutie or Cuddy? I'm assuming it's Cuddy. I don't know how it's pronounced. C-U-T-I, Yeah. The artist, of course, is John L. Byrne. He handled, uh, handled uh, pencils and inks on this. <clears throat> and, of course, he did the cover as well. Did you get the colorist, Wendy Fleur? No, it actually did not show up. I, I pulled this from Mike's Amazing World. And um, the uh, it did not have the, the colorist credits there. I, I've got it in my notes, so I must have found it somewhere. Because I wrote these notes back in March before I came to Vegas, but... Typically, the colorist was not credited during this time of uh, comic publishing. You won't find it on the, the yeah. splash page. Maybe yeah. I found that in, in Mike's, or I found it somewhere. But I thought yeah, it was it, interesting because we were originally this was planned for our March show, um, and I was because I was leaving Texas and going to Vegas. I thought this would be interesting because you know they're being kind of blasted out of their orbit, so I was kind of leaving my orbit. <laughs> uh, so, but of course, you know, as life intervenes, that then happened. But it was interesting, interesting. Is the the writer, Nick Cuddy or Cutie, however you pronounce his name, just it just died. He died in February 21st of this year. So oh, wow. he died about a month before we were going to do this show. Uh, and some background on him, he co-created E-Man, which I'm a fan of that. Uh, he worked under Ralph Batchy, if everybody's familiar with him, animator. Mm-hmm. Uh, supposedly he worked. He's also worked with Louis Simonson, uh, Lynn Wein, and his. Uh, uh, Wikipedia says he recruited uh, both Byrne and Mike Zeck. Wow. So, and of course, um, I know Bob Layton and Roger Stern also spent some time at uh, Charlton. Yeah, because they did the fan, the fan, uh, CPO, the fan page, yeah, or the fan book. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Before I get into synopsis, I got one. The only thing I can really find from Byrne, and I found this on his robotics page. This is a quote about this book or the series he worked on. Uh, quote, uh, It was fun to draw, but the basic concepts and stories made my head hurt. Uh, <laughs> when, I was asked to, uh, when I was asked to be allowed off the book, George Wildman asked me why, and I wanted to leave, and I said, because I kept making the mistake of watching the show. So apparently he wasn't <laughs> a fan of the show, or at least the physics of the show. So yeah, most of the stuff I read wasn't about the, the, the book specifically, but, but about his experiences just at Charlton. Charlton. Which he looked at as a great learning experience. Oh, I'm sure. And he, he only did issue three through six of this. But mm-hmm. I don't think any of these, this only ran, what? Uh, seven issues. Seven, seven issues? Seven issues. 
Um, yeah, the Charlton runs didn't seem like they ran very long. Um, I know the six meter man didn't run very far, and uh, they did emergency. They did a lot of tie-in books, a lot of. Uh, I don't think uh, Charlton got great distribution, and the quality of the printing, just even as a so. kid. Um, it just didn't seem to be as high a quality printing as the Marvel books that were on the same stands. Yeah, right. They, they always had little, uh, kind of washed out colors, um, and because I think they tried to paint uh, paint those covers uh, from the uh, you know they, like if you look at the cover of this one, it's got a more painted feature instead of the regular uh, page art. Actually, I think it, it looks more like marker. You ever seen an art marker? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what it yeah. looks like. It doesn't look actually painted. It looks like it's been done with a marker. The inside's painted, but this cover looks like it's done with those blended it's almost markers. Like a, like a coloring book, or yeah. Mm-hmm. Now Charlton, I, I, when I was growing up, even on the spinner racks, I don't, I don't ever really recall no. seeing a Charlton book, or if I did, I just passed it over, but. I'm thinking I probably would have picked up Space 1999 or The Six Million Dollar Man because those were shows that I was like really loving to watch. Watch. So yeah, the 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 distribution was just uh, probably the the problem with them as to why they couldn't take off. But uh, and then again in the in the mid 70s, it was really superheroes were kind of taken off, and um, but science fiction books were kind of important. Uh, so. Yeah, it's hard to tell why. And Gold Key also, uh, with you know, one of the other Atlas, they they tried hard to get into those markets as well. And I think distribution is probably what really. I think you would have had a better, uh, more a much easier time finding a set of Stuckies <laughs> in, a, in a in a in a three pack with other books than you would finding it on a spinner rack. Yeah. Uh, my I remember when uh, I first discovered uh, a comic book shop, Fantastic Worlds, here in Fort Worth in 82 and I started frequenting comic book shops after that I don't recall seeing anything Charlton wise until the 90s wow. and I started finding those in like half price bookstores like the the Raj 2000 book and uh, other items but uh, yeah I mean there was uh, the Fantagraphics reprint of Doomsday Plus One as the Doomsday Squad came out in 86 and I remember devouring those and you know that opened my eyes to it and starting to try to find these other books. And it was very difficult at first. Now, of course, uh, they're much easier to find. And I think, you know, maybe as uh, us uh, comic book fans are starting to die out, uh, collections are going up for grabs and they're getting a much larger float of them out into uh, uh, the back issue bins. We We also have the internet. um, One day I was just scanning through eBay for some reason, and I, I don't know if I was looking for uh, Space 1999 or something, whatever. And there was this lot of like 50 books for like 20 bucks, and uh, so I'm like, okay, can't go wrong with that, really. Uh, and sure enough, uh, issues three through six of Space 1999, couple issues of Six Million Dollar Man, the Bionic Woman, some Doomsday One is in there, and wow. I'm like, wow, this is cool because trying to find these old Charlton stuff is is uh, not easy and uh or you know for a cheap price because you know i'm not gonna buy them at six bucks a piece uh <laughs> that's i don't i'm not that invested in in buying you know charlton comics for six dollars a piece but you know for you know 50 cents a piece oh yeah definitely so i was really happy the only problem is you could tell it came from some kid's collection because in some of the books 
Ugh. He went in with a little pen and and colored oh. the lady's lips red. <laughs> like, what are you doing, dude? Man. Oh well. well. You don't you don't see a lot of these in uh, when you're doing your bin diving. I, I you know I I think I saw or had. I know I had a, uh, the first Six Million Dollar Man comic that when I was a kid, and it's long since gone. But those are a little harder to find than these. I, I the ones I've got, I think I got off um, from uh, Lone Star in Dallas. I got it off their website. Um, but it's not a comic that you normally find if you go to a con and they've got all their boxes out. That yeah. you, you're one you're not gonna find in the cheap bins, and you're not gonna usually find it because the runs are so small. That either they're hidden in there, you can't find them, or they're just don't, you know, they're, it's not a lucrative book that they're going to bother to bring from their shop. So, well, I, I've found, you know, as I've done my bin diving, the issues three, five, and six of Space 1999, um, I've, I've been able to, to find that in multiple places. It, it's, you know, been available. The one thing that's obvious to me, though, in, in looking for these is that. All the, the issues that are available in collections are reader issues. They're ones that have been handled and handled. Um, there's not any pristine copies. You're not going to find many nines or higher uh, no, when you go been diving think. diving for these. The, the, the print run was low. The, the, the people that got them read them. They weren't, uh, they weren't speculating, you know, collectors grabbing these or anything like that. So... It's it's going to be hard to get a good quality uh, issue, and of course the uh, the materials they used to print them on were not as good quality paper as you would have gotten. It's more almost like newsprint, right? Um, uh, that it got printed on. So it, it, if it's not cared for, it will deteriorate a lot quicker than a lot of the other books. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's get into this synopsis that I poured over last night and spent <laughs> all my time writing because I couldn't find. I had to write my own. I couldn't. I couldn't find a. Uh, a, a decent one online or else I would have cheated and used that did, did you right. basically just say see Twilight Zone episode <laughs> <laughs> see Twilight Zone see Star Trek see um, yeah. no no I wrote I mean I got a, I got a, okay. a page and a half here you know I, I, this is a quality show come well on done. Yeah. yeah all right uh, we are covering as stated Space 1999 Charlton Comics number three uh, the story is called Bring Them Back Alive, and it stars John Koenig, Victor Bergman, and Helena Russell. Our story opens as Commander Koenig, Chief of Medicine Helena Russell, and Science Advisor Victor Bergman explore an Eden-like planet. They discover a table full of food, where there should be none on this primitive, undeveloped world. Helena suggests caution, but before Koenig can quote Admiral Akbar, the trap is sprung. <laughs> they are trapped in a dome... <laughs> And are soon launched into space. The trio are gassed, and when they finally come to, the dome has locked, the dome has sealed and locked into a mothership, and they are off to parts unknown. They discover uh, all the plant life around them is plastic, and they and seeing several aliens in similar cages, Victor deduces they are in a cosmic zoo. Koenig tried to break, uh, tries to break through the force field, uh, but a power shock stuns him. One of their fellow captives speaks up. And I, these have got a lot of weird, funky names, so if I mispronounce them, correct me. Clores, a bearded alien with delicate features, introduces himself and the others. Kanta and Rega, a pair of Organian-like energy beings. Silray, Silra, or Silray, and Korra, a pair of winged warriors. 
Kag and Zoon, a pair of four-armed Neanderthal aliens, and finally a gelatinous form with two large eyes named Zustra. Kloris explains they are on a giant space arc heading back to the homeworld of their captors. The rest of the captives begin to squabble when Koenig says they must all work together if they want to escape. Silray, one of the winged uh, aliens, says they have never seen the captors and that there is no way to escape. Suddenly a door opens and a table and chairs slide out. It's feeding time. The captors sit down to a meal and discuss their situation. The trio from Moonbase marvel at how the different aliens consume their food. Koenig wants to rush the door when dinner is over, but a large robot guard enters and uh, ends his thoughts of escape. The guards have shock sticks and death ray eyes. The captives are taken to a space gymnasium, space gymnasium uh, for, with workout equipment suited to each species. The group settles in for a vigorous workout and some relaxation. Koenig takes a dip in the pool and when he is, and then when he is underwater is contacted telepathically by Zustra. He tells the commander that he uh, has waited for someone with his spirit to arrive and he has an escape plan. He tells them the robot guards are sensitive to bright lights and the two energy beings who communicate through different frequencies of light uh, will blind the guard and Koenig will push it into the pool to short it out. There is a flash, not Barry or Wally, and the stunned guard is lowered into the pool. The doors open with, with the help of Zestra 2, a clone of Zestra. The group presses on as they run down the corridor and encounter more guards. Cag clobbers the guards with his forearms. More guards try to shoot out, shoot at Korra and Silray as they fly overhead. And Koenig throws a stick and staggers a guard as Silray slashes with his talons. The energy beings Kanta and Rega search for weapons as the rest of the group head for the control room. Rega tells the group she found the weapons but her husband is missing. He has been captured. The group pushes on as they encounter a group, a more, another group of guards. The Alphans open fire as the others get clear. One of the guards zaps Zastra with his laser eyes and kills him. The group mourn their loss but continue to the control room. Cora and Silray have found the Cora and Silray have found the control room. The rest follow him down the corridor. They reach the room, but it's empty. Victor explains the ship is too complex to run uh, itself or be run by robots. Koenig tells him someone is controlling the ship, and they are among them. One of them is the captors and controllers of the zoo. The group discusses who uh, the spy could be. The forearm CAG accuses Clores since he uh, since he protested the escape plan to begin with and was not captured as a pair. All the rest of the aliens are paired up. Clores tries to convince him of his innocence, but Koenig stuns him. Bourbon proclaims he's dead, Commander. With Chloris gone, it's up to Victor now to study the controls and try to get them back home. After several hours, he tells Silra and Silray and Cora to call the others. He has discovered how the ship works, but the winged couple turns on him. They are the zookeepers. They can't let him live and reveal their secret. They take aim when suddenly their weapons are pulled from 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 their, pulled from their hands. Chloris is not dead. He feigned death because he and Koenig determined who the zookeepers were long ago, and they were just playing along to trap the two. After a scuffle, the two are put in their own back in their own cell, and Bergman reverses the course and returns to Moonbase Alpha. Kors and the others are going to take the prisoners back to their home world as a, uh, a lesson to anybody else from that planet who decides to do the same thing and create their own zoo. Rega is reunited, reunited with her husband as the ship lifts off from the moon. The end. Pretty challenging story. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> a lot of a lot of names. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of 
Well, this yeah, is now, this now is did more he... involved than the average comic of this time period. A lot of characters, some intrigue. Yeah. This is this is much more weighty than your average Spider-Man slugfest. And this is the first time I've seen it. On an episode of the Orville in the first season, where they were put into a zoo and they had to escape, I, I think that I think that. Uh, well, that's, I do recall that's a, that. That's a that's kind of a trope. This reminded me a lot of a Star Trek animated episode. Ah, that's right. That's right. Because there is one where they were put in a zoo, but uh, that's not you know that's that's again that I think that's a trope, but uh, but I, I agree with Kurt. It is it is pretty involved. Uh, and there was a lot of stuff going on, and there's a lot of characters involved. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, Kurt, you, Kurt, you have not read this, right? I just uh, skimmed it as we started this episode, and then I followed page by page through your summary. Okay. Uh, what did what did everybody think? Start with uh, start with you, Brian. What did what did uh... I, the biggest question I had was at the end? Did they end it on a da 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 but it I does it seem to have kind one. of a more of a lighthearted uh, end. Uh, yeah, but it—I uh, I mean, it—it it, it did feel to me like uh, like you could have put yeah, and and you say it's a it's a common trope, but you could have injected Kirk and Spock in this, or you know any uh, any other characters from uh, any of the Star Trek series, and it still would have played pretty much the same way. Yeah, you yep. could have put. Cisco in here. You could have put Janeway. You could have put right. uh, Archer. 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 Yeah. You know, and they were all have been you know equally outraged. And uh, I, I don't know if this felt like a Space 1999 episode. I mean, it's obviously on a larger scale, something they couldn't do on the show because of budget. But they were they frequently encountered alien uh, entities like this. Uh, but usually it was either uh, encountering another planet, or they wouldn't have been. You know, they're they're taken and left. You know, because I, I didn't read the first two issues of this, so I don't know if that if the other issues end with them going to this planet that just starts, just kind of a cold opening. Hey, they found this planet and they and they're investigating it, and then you know it starts from there that you know, the trap is sprung. But they're almost always done in one. Charlton very very rarely would have any sort of continued story. They weren't counting to... on on repeat business it was right. sell the issue get it into their hands on to the next one yeah well, you know the the thing that is interesting is that you know the the series space 1999 didn't um premiere until september of 75 and this book came out what um in December, December in December. Yeah. So, and, and you, you're looking usually at a four-month turnaround from the start of a book to the point where it actually gets published back then. And so, they probably didn't have a whole lot of material to go on importing this book and making sure that they get the character voices and such. So, getting this like this, even in this format, I think was a a good effort, and, and they got a lot in there regardless. But I, I don't the, know that it was truly reflective of the show. I think like, the voices are not bad. I think the, they kind of captured, uh, and maybe I'm and I'm superimposing what I know of the characters onto this book. So maybe I'm I can't judge it accurately. But well, I think no, they did I a mean, pretty good job of. Uh, when you're talking about Conan, you're talking about Martin Landau, and right. 
Martin Landau pretty much plays a similar character in, in everything he's in in this era. You know, from Mission Impossible to here, you're not going to see character ticks or anything that are unusual for him that's going to differentiate him from one to the other. No, he's not. He's not playing a heroin addicted Bill Lugosi, but uh... <laughs> no, no, no. And, and so I, you know, I mean, the thing is, you can write a character with Martin Landau's voice and not necessarily be Koenig. Yeah, I think uh, she's a little more. Uh, um, Barbara Bain is a little more animated in the book than she is. I, I, I can. I always remember a quote my mom gave me, uh, or not a quote, but she said that she was the most wooden character actor she'd ever seen. <laughs> and if you watch her in Mission Impossible in this, she is. She doesn't really have a lot of expression. But, uh, well, John, have you read, had you read this before? Or was this your first time reading it for the show? Actually, I did read it before because I got it in that stack of That's right. books. Uh, but I couldn't remember that I had it in my stack. So while I was reading it again, it was like, this is very familiar. And then I was like, was this an episode? Uh, and then I pulled out my own, like, oh, there's my physical copy right there. And, um, yeah, uh, it was an interesting story. I, you know, it's, even though it's this, this, the, the put him in a zoo and then they're going to have to get out. I, I think it was an interesting story. I was actually really impressed with the artwork throughout, uh, yeah. the, because, uh, he did a really good job at capturing the likenesses. Yeah. Page two, uh, Barbara Bain in the upper right and. I don't know yeah. the actor in the bottom right. Those seem to be really photo referenced. Yes, and and it's interesting though. But in Koenig, he didn't do that so much. I noticed it's that. It's like he he created a model, and worked off the model rather than off of photos. Whereas he well, worked on photos. Right, and that's them. that's why I like he he, except for those two pages that Kurt just brought up, which obviously look like he he almost traced a photo. The rest of it, he does a good, almost a character. He gets their features down so you know who they are but it's not so photo reference it's kind of mm -hmm, what he right. does with uh, on the i think the, the front cover is pretty good too that doesn't look photo reference but you can obviously tell that's that actually looks more like um koenig the actual i mean uh it Martin landau than it does. does in the rest of the book right yeah. yeah and the other the other aliens you can kind of tell that's that uh you know, Byrne has a way of doing, when he's doing some characters, he can do them as almost cartoony. Uh, and then he does, the rest of his characters look, you know, kind of realistic. But sometimes he'll throw in somebody who looks a little, he looks, looks a little character, cartoony, kind of goofy looking. Kind of a, usually an elongated face. And some yeah. of the, the aliens in this look like the beginning of that. Um, the Neanderthals look more like his more finished work. Uh than the rest of them. But I agree, the artwork's pretty good. It's um, uh -oh. a lot of burn tech. Um, the, the, the guards, I think, we'll, we'll talk about the cover real quick. The cover, again, we thought it's pretty dynamic. Uh, the guards are, obviously look like burn guards. You know, they look like, almost like Doom bots or... Uh, <laughs> they remind me a little bit of the, if, if you're familiar with the uh, the Hulk issues where the abomination comes about, where is, is his origin is, and the Hulk is fighting the the humanoid that the Master left, and I think it's Marie Severin is doing the art artwork, and he's kind of a big plastic humanoid body. That's what these remind me of. Yeah, you have to excuse me here. Kirk got cut off from the call, and so uh -oh. I'm trying to reconnect him. <clears throat> that may be a function of my computer being overloaded, guys. 
Ah. Okay, he's back. Well, so I love... I, <laughs> so on the first page, you know, they, they show up on this planet, and all of a sudden there's this, like, beautiful table of food, and I love how you said, oh, yeah, they stumbled into an Admiral Akbar situation. And yeah. I'm like... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah well, it's, apparently uh, they got a lot of pineapple there. That's good. But... <laughs> Oh yeah, that that um, Easter ham there with all the pineapple on top of yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that's making me hungry. And what's funny is the chairs. I didn't notice this. The chairs look like Star Trek chairs. Those high back. Yeah. Um, uh, tulip type chairs. Yeah. Nice, nice futuristic look. So was this? So Byrne was actually um, working at Marvel as well, right? Didn't he just start a couple of? Was this Iron Fist was on he here? He was doing Iron I... Fist, and he did the... He had done Dracula, and he did something uh, for Marvel Premiere. Marvel Chillers. He, he did He did the Marvel Chillers, the Tigra story. And... Yeah. Um, was he on X-Men by this point? No. No. Uh, it'd still be a while. He'd go through... I mean, because he was in between issues three and four of Iron Fist here. Okay. Um... So he had a good way, and he still had work to do on emergency. And yeah, he kind um, of worked back and forth for up to about seventy six or seventy seven. I think he was still working for some Charlton stuff, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. He, I mean, because he did E Man in seventy seven, and uh, but by by after after E Man, which was uh, very early, apparently. Uh, he was pretty much all, all Marvel through the rest of '77, because sure he Marvel was doing paid better, Marvel, so. Marvel team up, Iron Fist champions, um, and uh, Marvel preview. So he he had I mean he was just pretty much all Marvel after that, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So interesting stuff. I I, I like on page, well it's page two here. Uh, <laughs> how they're all distorted while they're passing out to the gas. Yeah. <laughs> like that effect. That was a great effect, wasn't it, Kirk? I I thought it was too. It was kind of fun. Which one? I'm sorry. Uh, panel on the second page. Oh, that's uh, that looks like his paper towel trick, where he'll put ink on a paper towel and smear it. Yeah, he, he I think he's talking about the one to the right where they're all being distorted, where they're they're okay. passing out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's almost like a, that's almost uh, something you would see from a character's point of view. It's almost a, like a, a, an effect you would ha actually have in an actual film or a TV show. Kind of that, yeah. you know, that yeah. fish, psychedelic. You know, that fisheye yeah. lens they used to use in Star Trek yeah. when, uh, when things would go kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think the one to the left of that, you're right, uh, Brian, that is his uh, paper towel trick with the... I guess that's the gas coming out as they're all falling yeah. to the ground. Does anybody see a face in the in the cloud in the gas there? It just looks like a badger or something um, <laughs> the upper left. It's unintentional, I'm sure. Never mind. Right there next to the word balloon, I can yeah. see what looks yeah. like two eyes in a in a it's it looks almost alien. That's it. Mm -hmm. uh, like a like one of the greys. But uh, with a big open mouth. That now it's haunting me. I can't help Let's see it now. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Splash page. Giant. Not a splash page. Full page. Full, full page. page. <laughs> Give us this full effect of the zoo, which was pretty cool. 
Yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's laid out. It's, it's a lot of, uh, the, you know, a lot of burn tech. That I will say, the 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 captives don't have a lot of space. No. To, uh, I mean, the winged people, uh, Cora and Silray, you know, it looks like they're in clouds or something. But there's no room to fly in that habitat. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Yeah. And the two energy beings are basically at the smallest cage, but. Guess they don't need a whole lot of room. No, and why they couldn't? They were kind of reminded me also of uh, speaking of we were talking about Corman earlier, Battle, uh, Battle of the Star, Battle Beyond the Battle Stars. Beyond Star, yeah. And they got the Thermians that communicate with heat. Yeah. Oh right, they, oh, yeah. communicate with light. But obviously, they can also I guess somehow they speak, so they're either telepathic or they're somehow they're they can speak. Well, they can all speak English. I don't think they ever established any kind of a universal translator. It was like Star Trek, everybody can just speak English. <laughs> Maybe it was Sargon and, and what's her name from that episode of Star Trek. Well, that's what they seem like. <laughs> yeah. Sargon and... And so we've got our aliens, we've got the uh, the force field that uh, uh, Koenig, and in that, it's page page, page four, four top you yeah, see that, victor trying it yeah but that face where he's drawn koenig looks really and in the bottom panel it's he's really kind of off target here on um landau his face looks a little elongated um, yeah but bergman's doing a good job of and it's mainly because he's got that bald head and those uh, mutton chops he had on the show that and this seems a little out of character for koenig i don't think on the show he would take that he would take the direct approach and just try to smash through it but uh, I guess that's to help us establish that, you know, this is a powerful force field, and you know, you can, you know there's no way to no way to get out. Yeah, and I guess if this was written so early, after the premiere of the of the program, that maybe they hadn't quite identified how, how the character takes yeah. how the character would act. Uh, they probably thought, oh yeah, brash captain, think Captain Kirk kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. You know. Uh, that kind of stuff, uh, establishing the type of characteristics that the characters would have. Um, but well, it was, it's a comic. You have to have some action. So you had to have some action, kind yeah. of keep it going. I like that he's taking a full run at it. That was like, yeah, Ooh. he's not. Yeah, he's not, he's yeah. not picking up a rock or something else to throw at each. You know, anyway, it's a little crazy, but uh, so that's when they cores yeah. uh, decide to introduce himself and kind of get the rundown of everybody else who's. Um, is this the obligatory, almost looks like John Byrne kind of character? It's just the hair that it makes me think. Yeah, I think the hair. Like, if you look at the it. other images of himself that he'd drawn back in the day, that's that's the close one. I mean, again, it doesn't really look like him, but uh, the hair makes me think of, of his self-image at the time. It could be, you know, and that's probably it's just 70, so early, mid-70s, you know, a lot of beards going on. What's interesting is how little detail there is in his face and the the two, uh, the Silray and Cora. But there's a lot of detail in the uh, the forearm characters. Uh, yeah, Cag and Zun. Uh, I said they seem more like prototype uh, burn characters than the others. But you can you you, you get the, you get the sense that he's kind of finding his way. The the tech, his text is almost down. Yeah. But it's the it's the facial features and uh, the way he's going to draw characters 
uh, haven't quite developed. Because look at the ship on page six. You know, that's such a burned ship. And a lot of Star Trek influence, too, because it looks like it has nacelles. You know, I, I sat there and I looked at, um, you know, is it Solray and Korra? And they make me think, well, he makes me think of Elrond. Um, back reading, you know, Lord of the Rings way back then, you know, I had my own own idea of how the elves looked. I mean, obviously yeah. you can't see the ears, but the facial features made me think of Lord Elrond from back when, when I was reading it back then. Um, but not her. She looks like some sultry... Uh, trying to bring in Captain Kirk kind of woman. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, if you look at that top panel on page five, you had mentioned that it's very much a stock character for him. If you just took that that panel out and placed it separately and said identify the artist, you could almost first thing would be that's John Byrne because yeah. it's very unique to his style for some reason, even though it doesn't have a lot of detail. Uh, but to me, that just really looks like his style of work, especially in that era. Maybe not so much now, but in that era, it was... Yeah. Well, yeah. it's funny, it's detailed. Uh, it doesn't seem to be, and maybe it's because I'm, re you know, I'm I'm sure we're all reading the same scan of the actual book, so it's a little... It's not a great scan, is what I'm saying. He, he doesn't seem to be... I've always said that when he does his own inks, he's a little more heavy-handed than, say, like Austin. But here, like the top page of five, it looks almost like instead of inked with a brush, it was inked with a pen. It's very fine, detailed uh, I, lines. I, I, I almost think like um, that it wasn't completely inked, that they tried to reproduce it from the pencils, and that he only had to do touch-up to clean up the line work. That's um, possible. Uh, this whole book kind of looks like that to me. But, uh, I mean, again, you know, this is very early in his career, and I don't know that he was as comfortable inking as he was penciling. So he would have done very, very tight pencils, and then, you know, the inks would have, again, it's just how he would have done things. But I think, yeah, that they reproduced this from the pencils. Yeah. And like any artist, I'm sure he's finding his way. You know, he's trying to find his, his style and how he wants to portray things and that, and that evolves you know so you're not gonna be the same guy 30 years later but and <laughs> for for somebody who's kind of just starting out hasn't been in the comic industry that long it's pretty impressive i mean you can mm -hmm. see the beginnings of somebody who's going to go out and do some great stuff so well when you think about george perez's early work with marvel uh, it's kind of the same thing i mean if you look at his some of his drawings from like 72 and then you look at him in like 75 when he started working with Marvel or whenever he first started. It's like massive improvement. <laughs> and you just know that, wow, this is a, this is some good stuff here. Yeah, it is. And it, I mean, there's a lot of impressive things. I'm sitting there looking at, at um, page six. And I, I mean, it's I'll say it's kind of one of the weaker pages just because of the the uh, the bottom half of it. The top half, of course, you can see them talking to Clores, and we've got an opposite page perspective on what we were seeing before. And then you see the starship going across, which is, of course, beautiful burn, uh, not Star Trek and yet Star Trek looking ship. But on the, the bottom three panels seem like he had a hard time with the detail. Especially that middle panel when he's looking at the, uh, the cave people. The forearmed cave people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But I always wonder, it's like, why are they got all those green leafy tentacle things? Not leafy, but uh, green plant-like tentacle things around the cave people. I think that's something for them because I guess they're thinking they're more ape-like and they've got the forearms that they need something. To like climb a, around with, right, yeah. Yeah, climb around. Maybe that's what they're, you know, they live. maybe they live in trees on their native planet. Um, yeah. yeah again, the, no, go ahead, John. It's just showing the, that they have a different climate, I think. Right. Whatever. Yeah. I don't even. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. But like, and the weird, the proportions on them in that last panel look really, I mean, kind of off. Not stick figurey, but still a very simplistic. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot, especially in six. There's not a lot of throughout the book. I don't think there's a lot of line work used to emphasize shading or depth or give it some dimensionality this is a lot of just straight line almost like you're inking it with a straight pen um or a, um, a you know kind of a not he's not doing it he's not using a brush to to create different thicknesses he's maybe he's using right. the same type of um uh, just a straight pen an ink pen to, to do some of this stuff or an art pen so uh, that may uh, that could have been time. I don't know how long how long he had to do this. I don't know if he was had to pump these out quicker, maybe. But he's done some pretty ambitious stuff. I mean, look on page seven. Yeah. I don't know if that's Zipatone that he's used in the um, disaster, the the gelatinous thing, or what. But he's trying to yeah create that's, some that's... some type of a. It's like a that's... it's. Go ahead, Brian. I keep talking. No, it's definitely Zipatone. I mean, that's <clears throat> that he's using there. Even in a second panel, uh, that purple structure, the table that uh, he's got there, you can see that he used some form of Zipatone on that as well. Yeah. And I don't you know what's funny thing... is, after seeing his X Men pencils, I can now I see that middle panel on the top there. I see all these lines where he always puts in for his perspective. Oh yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's <laughs> that's cool. Now. <laughs> Yeah. And these, it, uh... it, it is interesting that it seems like he took certain, like maybe even just every other page, but some pages it looks like he spent a lot more time on, other pages he didn't. So um, I have I have the actual book open, so five and six are side by side. If you look at page five where he introduces all the characters, really nice detail work, especially on the forearm folks. Uh, I, amazing work and even on Zuestra uh, then in page 6 it's like oh yeah I'll just kind of hurry up and rattle this one off and then we come back to page 7 and we see a lot it looked like he put a, spent a lot more time on this page because it's the details are a little bit better and a little bit to me a little bit crisper well the thing I know about this era with him was that he was still working on fine tuning his anatomy especially in the midsection and the, la the, the last panel on page six shows that when you look at Victor, uh, where his you know tunic meets the, the pants, that, that there's something just not right in that. And it, so these long shots of the characters in regular clothes, it seemed to give him a bit more trouble. And I mean, we, we find, you know, he really perfects this, you know, in, in a very short amount of time uh, when he moves over to Marvel and I think, you know, working with other people there, he got a lot of uh, tips and tricks on how to, to work through that. Yeah. But you'll you'll see, you know, little bits bits and pieces of that in Iron Fist, but uh, he definitely uh, evens it out as time goes on. He's someone that's always been perfecting his craft. I mean, there are other artists out there that, 
you know, they figure out their character models and then they don't work anymore to improve their craft. Whereas he did, he's constantly, even today, as he's been working on X-Men elsewhere, he's always trying to find new and better ways of representing things. So, you know, again, this is so early and uh, he's still learning. So did, does anyone um, see the connection between Zoestra to Gloop and Gleep from the Herculoids? Is this... That's what it is. Oh, God. I was sitting there just... <laughs> you know, that was, I was racking my brain trying to figure out because it, it seemed like such a familiar character. But yeah, that's it. Well, I was thinking that or... Does anybody know what a shmoo is? Yes, shmoo. <laughs> I was thinking that too. But Gloop and Gleek are probably... Uh, from Captain more, Caveman. Yeah, more accurate... Uh, um, representations and it's interesting that it's not just it looks like it's got a brain and a spinal cord sometimes it's kind of hard to tell what is in this thing because yeah. it, it seems to be a little busy inside um that dinner scene gets a little um i want to say it's muddy but it looks a li it's got so much darkness around it and and some of it made from the printing uh the, the, if it's a poor page or the paperwork or the paper they use so i'd love yeah. to see these kind of rescanned and cleaned up uh, it, it, the the scan the scan actually is not bad i think okay. because it is you know space 1999 you know it's a licensed product that you're not going to get that kind of reprint like we did with uh doomsday plus one definitely not yeah but no the scans the scans are pretty accurate to the book i'm holding in my hand um actually it's it's a little bit better <laughs> than the book <laughs> i'm holding so uh the production and it is a hasn't been kept in a bag and board and pristine uh, so it's kind of yellowed and stuff but you know the only way that they're going to improve this is if someone goes in and Remasters does a lot of work to touch it up yeah uh, yeah, yeah I, I noticed that burn does a lot of black backgrounds um and that's in, unfortunate in... in this because if you think if they're using with for for maybe for marvel's printing techniques that would have been okay but for this one, it, yeah, the, it just doesn't come out very well. There's all those little white spots and stuff that you see in there. Uh, mm -hmm. That's in the book, too. It just didn't print very well. Yeah, and uh, another side note. Um, one, one thing that I did like about this story that was uh, different from others is that the quote-unquote cave people did not talk in, you know, single word or uh, single syllable words. They, 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 they articulated better. Yeah, I mm -hmm. thought that was an interesting choice that they are, they're intelligent, they're just a little kind of crude, but, and they've obviously, you know, because they kind of have a little bickering back and forth between them and cores, but, yeah, you're right, they're, they, they dress in skins, they look like Neanderthals, but they're not, they're not uh, primitive. They're more, they're more Klingon than uh, Right, primitive. exactly, yeah. 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 Uh, I thought it was interesting that, that you would take the time, this... Uh, this whole dinner scene is really just to kind of introduce, I mean, they've already been introduced, but it's a little, and I don't know if it's the writer wanting to kind of get his, some of his sci-fi ideas about, you know, because they, they uh, Dr. Russell, you know, has marveled at how each of them eats their food. Uh, and we get also this um, explains that Coors has, uh, has isn't, it isn't it Chlors? Chlors. Yeah. Uh, so you say Klingon, so I was thinking Coors. Floors ah. has uh, telekinesis because he's grabbing the uh, the salt or whatever the condiments, uh, so that introduces that he's he's got some telekinesis, um, and of course then it also introduces the uh, you know the guards 
which we saw the front cover, and that's absolutely burnout. So yeah, that is just so cool. <laughs> that's a really good shot of that of that robot coming through the door. <laughs> yeah, I wish he had done something like this in a comic, you know, in in a in a Marvel book or DC book, so that you know you could have a villain like that. It just looks like it'd be an awesome, awesome type uh, villain to work against. Mm -hmm. And this is the last time we see anything like this. What, from Burn? Well, I mean, I mean, you know, we don't see... He doesn't reuse this anywhere ever. And I, I think that's, uh, that's a shame because it's a pretty cool design. Yeah, it is. It's cool in its simplicity. Yeah. Yeah, but like the, the the doc doc like tentacle things that come up to the the armlets and uh, the the you know the ringed thing that's around the neck and it's got look that antenna off the one ear. One ear, yeah. It's basically a nude. It's basically a nude figure with a uh, little speedo and some um, a metal kind of a, speedo. That's yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah it's like a chastity belt. And no mouth, so it, it has no mouth and it is mean. So, <laughs> which well, is a paraphrase of his titles. How they and there are some logic holes in this because how does who tells them that they have death ray eyes? Um, it's Chlor's. Well, unless somebody's been killed, they've never met the captors, and these guys don't talk. How do they know they they project? I mean, the shock sticks I can see. Probably one of them got blasted, but. Unless somebody's died, how do they know they have death ray? Uh, they have uh, eyes that emit death rays. Well, you know, it, it, when you go back to the the zoo scene, you see that they and the um, gelatinous one are, are you know, in in, in their oh, own enclosures. But, but yes, yeah, Westra. But uh, you don't see what's on the other side is Westra. That there's probably an empty enclosure yeah. there, as well. I mean, it can't just be, you know, these ones. I mean, these ones, of course, are brought together for dinner, but are they the only ones there? Or are they the only ones left? Seems to me they're the only ones. Well, I don't know, but they don't have, there's no dialogue that, you know, once there were eight of us or once there were more of yeah. us than we, you know, they, they, they get out of line. Or, or it could have been they tried to escape and they were killed. That's why we shouldn't try to escape. That's why Chloris is trying to tell them not to. Um, well, remember, Swestra is alone, so they they usually get them in pairs. So maybe pairs. the other mm -hmm. one got zapped by the death ray eyes. That's how we. That's how Chloris knows. And, and whatever happened before is probably one or two or, or you know, not a whole, not all of them working together to get out. And this is you know, of course, what what follows in with the plot is that all of them working together kept the the. And again, I don't remember their names. Uh, the, uh, the the ones with the wings, you know, Zoran to just ab Cora. continue to observe rather than you know, you know, it, it it gave them something of interest. I think. Well, next gen did a uh, what is the next gen episode where Picard is taken? And he's put in a room with the other aliens. Allegiance. Allegiance. Allegiance? And yeah. it's the same same. It's the exact same. Uh, um, premise story, yeah. premise is this that one of them happen, turns out spoilers for allegiance one of them happens to turn out to be the alien that's actually uh, and it's and it's picard that shows up and rallies them hey we got to get out of here the rest of them are content to stay there or yeah. you know for the most part so it's very similar to that 
Um, and it's, and that's going to be your, I mean, that's kind of storytelling 101. You know, you've got a group of people, you can bring in somebody new, there's going to have to be conflict, and it's going to move the story forward. So, of course, Koenig, who's our, you know, star of our TV show, the star of this book, is going to be the one that rallies everyone uh, together to try to um, get him. And I, and I think it's interesting that they take him to, again, this gymnasium is another uh, kind of the writer wanting to kind of express some of his sci-fi ideas well this is what they would do they would take him to this gym and they would all and they all have their own individual little things that they do to to work you know to work out you know uh the rings to fly through and then those yeah it's almost like the danger room you know yeah exactly exactly exercising his telekinesis and and they fall in i mean you know koenig stripped down he's got his workout shirt on and he's, he's pumping iron and and Russell is doing the row machine, and then he decides to. And I do like when he goes in the water. This effect he's done with his hair. Yeah. You don't see that a lot with somebody. Of course, most time characters are like in a costume. You don't see their hair, but he's he's gone to the trouble of, of what's what your hair would look like when you're underwater. I like that effect. We're looking through Zoestra to see the robot on the and bottom panel there. That is great, and I I noticed this too. I love the. The effect behind the eyes. <laughs> you yeah. see the, yes, yes, it's you almost put gross. some thought into that. <laughs> His little stalks, yeah. That may cool. be what he's more. I wonder if he's more interested in, you know, he can draw humans, but he's more interested in coming up with these crazy. Because uh, he did seem like you said, John, put a lot of thought into how this, this massive protoplasm or whatever it is exists. That it's got a brain and, a, and it's got eyes and it's got. Um, this nervous system that seems to run down its kind of spine. It's a je- jellyfish. Yeah. 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 This is more probably more cloned to a uh, And how they know the guards are, you know, subject to bright lights. I don't know. Yeah. Now that that first panel of, of page ten does that remind you of Snowbird's issue? Yeah. And <laughs> <in> the assistant <laughs> editors. Oh no! Across across the comic book internet, lazy drawing. <laughs> He's just you, being lazy there. You could yeah. say that about someone if they hadn't already produced so much stuff, but that's just, you know, it's just an is experiment. It, is it me or does the robot look upset in that second panel? He looks confused. He's got okay, these confused. Of... I was thinking sad, upset, but no, confused is good too, yeah. Why did you do this to me, guys? Really? Unlimited technology, unlimited technology and it's still not waterproof. <laughs> well, if he's shorting out and he's got that shock stick, I hope nobody else is in the pool. Well, they're going to get shocked too. But yeah, it's like kind of got got dried off really quick. Well, and they get yeah, they get dressed, and then it's the, the Zestra Two, who is the clone or or whatever offshoot or whatever we want to call it of the original. They can just divide and create new ones. Kind of interesting that I guess he had split, and this guy had been hiding out. <clears throat> Uh, for so long and I guess he didn't need him. he says you know, we were waiting for somebody kind of a your spirit he tells Koenig that I guess they didn't think that anybody else was willing to uh, lead them because this guy's been just waiting for somebody else to show up that could uh, hatch this plan of theirs is it what's the forearm guy's name it's Cack Cor- Cack yeah Cack he followed man he falls in so quick with, with Koenig he's like hey buddy yeah, it's you and me. Let's go. Let's go. 
Let's go take this ship. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, it's interesting that it seems to me that he is paying a lot of attention to drawing Kag and putting a little bit more effort into that character to me. I mean, the details on the face up there were really good. Uh, I think he probably enjoyed this part of it more than Koenig and Russell and them. I don't know, maybe because they were a little bit more interesting than just standard human. And the androids, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's all his creation. You know, the, the three main characters are or three actors that he's kind of having to draw. Everything else is something he created, so I think he's going to put more uh, effort into uh, into them, or or it's just because it's just a non-human. It's something different, so he gets to mm -hmm. kind of uh, how do you know how do you draw the four arms? And and here we are, the middle panel on page eleven. You know, you know all these high-tech spaceships, but no handrails on the bridges make sure everybody can fall from a great height. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought when you say this kind of reminds me of Black Hole when they're running from the, uh, the guards and are trying to get to the to the control tower of the ship. You know, it's just a running through quarters through the ship. Uh, I've always thought, you see these, these, these massive spaceships that have these big open areas. The only thing is, how hard is that to... Uh, control your climate or you know you know you've got to fill that with air why do you need these big open spaces like that don't know well, good question <laughs> i mean again you know that's one of those things i don't think that the, the sci-fi writers were really considering back in the day and of course you know as burns doing this he's just trying to create a a good arena for the for the work to flow yeah, and, and you get have an area for the, the guys to, uh, uh, for the two winged people to, to fly through. Uh, there's, there's a reason behind having such a big ship. Uh, for It seems like a huge ship unless they are still collecting specimens as they head back because they've only got, what, six of them. It seems like it's a boffy big ship for just six people, but... Oh, I think I think I have an answer for you. You remember those green vines that were in the CAG's uh, cage? Yeah. Okay. His people consume those green vines, and it causes them to expel oxygen when they uh, fart. And so they're creating all the atmosphere. I'm no sorry. Is that your no prize? <laughs> yeah. There's no prize for that, that's for sure. This is what we get for doing a show early in the morning. <laughs> so okay, they're was... heading out, and oh, I'm sorry. Well, uh, you know, when we get some, uh, you know, punchy, punchy run, run. Copyright yes. Thomas TJ. Uh, then we get to page 15, which is kind of very Neil Adams to me. Uh, not a lot of dialogue, but a lot of action, uh, and a lot of uh, kind of um, Dutch Dutch angles. We get to see that the the the, the wing and that I will say there's not a lot of detail on whichever one this is I'm assuming this is still right when he comes down yeah. and he slashes the guard uh, there's not blood? a lot of detail in his wings or his arms or um, any of it really it's just kind of a, right. a, a line drawing but I, I, I think it's to, to denote elegance of the creature simplistic and elegant and yeah but yeah. is that supposed to be blood coming off the android? 
I don't know what that is. It's but he's got a or hydraulic fluid. Uh... <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a piece of, I guess, his skin or his his casing or something in his hand when he says that was most stimulating. I'm surprised um... that got past the code. Because well, it, it looks like it looks like it's blood, but it it, it it can't be blood. But you know, I think it's just supposed to be. I don't, I don't know what it is. It looks like this. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I like the way he says that was most stimulating. That yeah. nice little Kirk pause. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a very kind of a Spock line there. Yeah, and that bottom, that very bottom panel makes me think of that issue of Fantastic Four, the the one with the dream of the Inhumans. Where they see that incredibly large being that's you know, supposed to be like thousands of miles high. Do you remember that? I'm not, it's not ringing a bell with me. I'm sure I've read it, but yeah, yeah, you have. I mean, we've discussed it before. It was the one where the the thing tried to hit it and it just threw him away, and of course he fell thousands, thousands of miles to his death. And Reed was so like, "Why can't I see this?" And it made him realize it was a dream, oh. something that Triton was dealing with. Well, this looks a little, also, that overhead shot reminds me a little of uh, Forbidden Planet when they're going through the Krell machinery when Morbius has taken them. Yeah. You get some shots like that, some overhead shots of walking through this massive machinery. Yeah, it also makes me think of uh, James Cameron's Xenogenesis. Um, before he did uh, Terminator and Piranha 2 and all that, he had done a short special effects film with some uh, insurance company backers to demonstrate the special effects that he could uh, generate and the stories that he could do. Strong female characters, large robotic creatures, kind of a, a pre-Aliens Ripley fighting another uh, giant robot with, with uh, a mech suit. Cool. Cool. And it's available out there on YouTube. I'll have to look that up. Called Xenogenesis. Yeah, Xenogenesis. Then I think William, William Wisher, the... William Wisher, who wrote Terminator, is actually the other star in there, if I remember right. Cool. All right, I'll shut up now. No, no. All right. <laughs> uh, page thirteen. Page thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. Uh, this was a little confusing to me because we've got the two energy beings who are who have gone off. They're looking for the weapons, and they find, I guess, they're stored. So you see the uh, moon base lasers and we see the two clubs which i'm assuming are for Jack and Zoom. <laughs> yeah and we've got two green weapons which i don't know whose those are Maybe they those would are. have to yeah they'd have to be for the uh the winged ones the winged ones yeah i got a feeling that chlorus is kind of a pacifist he probably doesn't have any weapons right um and so one of them stays behind the the husband the i think um the husband goes off one of them, them stays there, one of them goes off. With, I guess with the weapons, because somehow they deliver the weapons to the rest of the group. And then no. We just... <clears throat> no, the weapons are still there. They went to yeah. tell, the husband went to tell the others that the, they found the weapons so they could bring them back. Yeah, but the, the funny thing is, is that the shadow that we see, and it's for, is it the female? It's the male. One? It's, it's the, the husband. Is, but uh... you don't, the shadow doesn't betray that they've got wings no you don't it could be yeah you don't yeah. know because so, it looks more like later. it would be chlor it looks like it more like it'd be chlorus than uh than that yeah, yeah. that that may be but, a, a red herring but so john yeah. you're saying they, they found the weapons one of them stayed there 
they went back and said, hey, we found the weapons, and then they went and got the weapons, but he was already gone. Well, if you look in panel two, it, tell, it says, stay here with the weapons. I will call the others. I'm proud of you, husband. Right, but it seemed like at the... So at the bottom of page, uh, the page, he's saying, hey, I found the weapons, but she's saying, I don't know where my husband is. I don't know... Um, uh, yeah. There are your weapons, but where is uh, Kanta? He would not have gone without me. So I guess they they're in the weapons room. I guess yeah, that's they, what I thought was she, confusing. It seemed like he was break, they were bringing the weapons to them. No, but they're at the weapons room, and then he's already gone because the next page, uh, Koenig's already got his uh, his his laser. Yeah. Um, but nobody picks up. That's the only weapon they pick up because looks like. Um, Cack has just got the stun stick. The stun stick, and that's what he keeps. His wife doesn't pick up anything. Yeah. Um, and then he start, you know, attacking the uh, uh, the guards. Try to. Well, uh, would you I like that. The stun stick or a club. Well, I agree. I thought that's why you pick up that purple, the purple. But maybe he doesn't know how to use the purple, whatever the other other weapon we saw in there. Yeah. The green, not purple. The green. Yeah, the green one. Yeah. Rifles or whatever they are. Anyway. That doesn't matter. It's just it, it it's just to set up a, a little melee here between the guards so they can have a shootout, uh, and then you know we have a little bit of a, the, the the wife is still worried about her husband, but Koenig's like you know don't worry about it. You know I haven't forgotten about him. We're gonna we gotta get out of this jam. Then we'll get back and we'll we'll find him. Uh, don't you think you know an android would be a lot more accurate with death ray eyes? I mean you just got to look at what you're wanting to hit, and he's hitting the floor. Well. And the sound effects down there on that bottom panel, Zwar, Z W O R, and I, I mean he's definitely looked like Burn drew them in himself. Wowm and Probably, yeah. <laughs> but no, Zwar is my favorite. Koenig's not that accurate <laughs> as a shot either. He missed them completely. Oh, and yeah, he he did the Zwar on the uh, the upper panel as well for both uh, Victor and and Koenig. Um but yeah, I mean, again, you know, the the androids could be dodging, and so that that's going to even throw off their their shots, I guess. Well, which is odd because the panel above looks like all three of them are hitting one of them dead in the chest, and then the panel yes. below, they're well, yeah. everybody's missing everything. <laughs> isn't isn't the one that they hit on the floor, on the bottom? Panel? I think he went down. Was... I guess then they got they got smart and decided to uh, to dodge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we get more of this the this uh, this. This bromance between yeah, uh, Kag and Koenig, you know. <laughs> um, Kag is having a good time. He is. He just wants. To, he just wants to fight. Uh, and then we, you know, of course, we get to see the uh, the, the result of Death Ray when he burned down this massive Jello here. <laughs> and his buddy doesn't seem that broken up about it. He's like, that didn't mean anything to me, but you know, oh well. <laughs> I'll just split and have another friend. Yeah, he's just a broken fingernail. I, that is so sad. I know, right? Especially because you know that someone later with the broom is going to come across that broken fingernail. <laughs> <laughs> and the wife is still worried about the husband and kind of, you know. And then we get a little, we get a, which I think ties into the end of the, the story of. Uh, Russell kind of has this it looks like she's trying to hug her this energy thing uh, yeah. that uh, you know you know, trying to, to reassure her that oh we'll, we'll find him and you know we haven't given up well, and that, you know. before you go on to that page if you look down at the bottom of page 15 you see how the, the smoke rising from the dead Zoestra 2 
is covering Koenig's midsection. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's basically Byrne trying to cover up what what he has difficulty with there. That's, just, that's again. That's just a guess on my part, but I, I notice he's get, getting creative like that to uh, to 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 help him in these situations. Well, it's easier to it's easier to ink that smoke too. The, the, the yeah. rubble's the 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 rubble or the burned creature or whatever. It's actually done well. It looks like a big kind of big pile of goo. Let's mm-hmm. um, hmm. put uh, it off steam or something. Yeah, I'm I'm bummed that we don't actually see the eyes. <laughs> Uh, those eyes have been melted off. Yeah. Well, look in the panel above, you get to see them kind of all in a weird shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, true, true. It's like a, a drunk Zoestra, but uh, no, burning. Yeah. Now, the the shot of, of Barbara Bain there on the next page, on page 16, is that a photo reference? I mean... It looks like it's, it's, I don't think it's like a trace, but I mean, it looks like no. he was looking at something. I don't think he actually traced, I mean, he could, you know, because he's got a light table, but I, I think he would, he would basically just be observing from a photo and working off of that. I think, you know, they've shown a lot of videos of him drawing. And when he does something like that, he's just looking at it to sit there and, and get the idea behind it. It's just amazing. You know, there was a discussion this week about circles and straight lines. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, he says he's basically at the point where he can almost do a complete perfect circle. And it's, you know, just one of those things that's, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to use tools to do it, but uh, still does. And doing drawings like this, it's almost like, you know, he envisions it and then can just make his hands do it. The muscle memory of, of, of whatever it is he's seeing uh, can, can make it happen. And I think he'd prefer to do that versus tracing. Well, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't ever suggest he was tracing, but it, it's a difference of the like the pages in the or either in the beginning of the book. It looks like he was not traced, but he was looking at it and copying exactly, right. not just right. okay. This is how our features are. I'm gonna draw that the way he's done with uh, Bergman. It doesn't look like he's done that with Koenig throughout the rest of the book. He has just kind of drawn freehand uh, his freehand because if you look at the the page you're referencing at the very bottom, it looks like there's a his his throughout the whole book his face looks too elongated. Is he making a I'm just a whole lot of zipatone usage on this page on page 16? I mean that top panel aside from the the characters is all zipatone, and I mean he's made a Bob Layton usage of uh, <laughs> of zipatone on this page alone. Every has... flat flat surface. Uh, has has zipatone on it. I don't know if that's uh, time saving or if it's just some Except of the stuff for... in this looks oh. like, it's, especially if you go to the next page, uh, seventeen, when you're looking through uh, Zustra, it almost looks like on yeah. on newsprint when they try to actually reproduce an actual photo. Mm-hmm. It's got that kind of. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you, though, back on look, page 16, you see how he's got the arrows telling you which panel to look at next. What do you think about this? I mean, I, I didn't need them myself, but uh, I actually found them distracting. I, I wouldn't. I don't think I needed them. I think it's interesting that he's not having them break the, the borders. It's yeah. interesting. It's almost like he's drawn them so they're on top of the borders. It's, it's, yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think you need them. Maybe he just thought... 
he needed him or he thought we needed him or yeah I thought right and I wonder when that happens is that an artist is that a, some editor comes up and says hey I think you need to do this or is the artist just automatically put him in there thinking well, this well is you, how you I know. think I think it's probably the editor because you, you can see the wings you know uh, intruding on the other panels right. and such and that's well done it's elegant it's it, it looks like it's a natural thought whereas those look like an afterthought or like yeah just the way they're almost pasted under the panel borders mm -hmm. so i'm saying what if they were put in after the fact he after he finished yeah. his art and somebody came into that um but this is a page where we we finally make it to the control room and and koenig reveals that he knows he knows who the captors are and he realizes that they are you know it, it's one of us our captors and then we get a little and then that, that's a I will say the next page that that's a nice likeness of um, Mar, um, Landau sorry Mark Landau <laughs> Mark Landau uh, and that's a great shot of uh, 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 Kag Bang. oh okay Kag you're talking yeah. on page 18? I'm, I'm talking about 17 at the top where they're 17. arguing okay yes Kag is arguing like uh that you know, well, one of us is the keeper, and uh, then of course he's explaining why you know his theory behind it, and why not you know it makes it easier to to observe somebody if you're amongst them, and then of course the discussion of who is, and of course they naturally turn on Clores because you know he's he's by himself and he you know, objected to the plan to try to escape and try to to talk him out of it, and uh, of course Kai gets a little um, you know hot headed, so he just. Uh, he just says, get him. <laughs> One thing I like, though, is that, you know, Cag's supposed to be like this caveman. And, you know, he when you look at him on his own, he looks like this hulking, strong thing. But when you see him with the others, he's actually shorter. Yeah, I don't think he's very, supposed to be very tall. Yeah. He's, he's probably Wolverine height. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. But he does explain, I mean, Clores explains why his, uh, why he was captured by himself. Apparently him and his wife and she was smart enough to walk in, not to walk into the trap, and he got. Of course, uh, Bergman says we can't. You know, there's no way to prove that. Uh, but I guess, but this time, since we kind of know the results, I wonder if Koenig had already talked it through with Chloris at one point and explained to him, "This is what we're going to do. You know, we're gonna. I'm going to stun you. You pretend to die, uh, and that way we'll kind of put the captors off." off guard and, and so you can come back and kind of spring your trap hmm I don't know I like that I like the, the picture of Barbara Bain there at the, bo the bottom panel the face the, just her face um now that almost not... looks like that's referenced from an actual photo like a clip yeah. from the show or something definitely yeah he's dead John yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> They got it wrong, but <laughs> the, the, the the phaser was set to stun. Uh, he did basically says that. Yeah, but you don't know what his anatomy is. That might have killed him. He does say, of course, you know, Kag says he was physically weak. Um, and then, of course, mm -hmm. then of course they do the typical trope of Bergman is going to somehow try to d discover how the ship works, not knowing the language, not knowing the instruments. Not knowing what button attaches to what. Yeah. <laughs> Not knowing how to do anything, but I guess if you look at it long enough and study it long enough, uh, you can figure it out. Well, every spaceship has to have certain 
controls, but you know, you figure you're going to have a pilot station, you're going to have life support, you're going to have, they're all going to be separated by function. But uh, true, I mean, if you were to to get in a say a Russian car, you could probably figure out how to drive it. But I think this is a little more complex. But again, that's a that's a that's a good analogy. Yeah. That's, well, actually, it, it actually resolves it for us in panel three there. Uh, Bergman can um, connect psychically to machinery, kind of like Forge, I guess. He can meditate with it and figure out what it is, because he's like, ah, this sequence seems to be the ship's astrology. What is it? Yeah. Astrogator. This, so. this right here, <laughs> he mind though, it, it, it he took hours. Yeah, it says there in the text, though, it took him hours to interpret it. You think he's really kind of... Because they never showed anything like that in the show. That he's that he's some kind of a technophile. He can he can um, he's like Jordy and he just loves machinery. He can yeah <laughs> he can uh, he can sympathize with it. Uh, I, I I mean the thing is in my job you know sometimes I have to sit there and figure stuff out you know new applications and such and and I've I've always been one of those guys that wants to sit there and figure something out before looking at the manual. And um, I, I mean, this is just something that that a tech does. So I, you know, I don't have any problem with it. It's not some magical thing. It's just you know, using logic. Well, he does have an artificial. He does are. have an artificial heart. So maybe that gives him a, an edge. A mecha empathy. <laughs> mecha, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, and this so is where we turned into who the zookeepers really are. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't know what their plan was here. Okay, they're going to kill him, and I guess. Okay, so they okay, say their plan works. They kill him, the rest of them come in, and they could say, well, I don't know, he's dead, or the guards came in and killed him, or whatever. And are they just going to keep running around the ship, or are they eventually going to go back to their cells? Because they're they're there to observe the rest of them. But we don't find out. It just seems like they weren't thinking that far ahead. That. Well, again, you know, I think that that like these people right here you know they're just part of that race they're not the actual leaders of the race they're just the zookeepers not necessarily zookeepers but the people on board the ship who's got to make sure things keep running and they keep uh, the illusion going so when they when they're presented with this situation they really you know they're just flying by the seat of their pants trying to to get everybody back in and using the illusion that they're part of them to, to work that, but they're not any smarter than anybody else. No, they do reveal on 20 that, you know, they, they, tell, they tell him that they regret having to kill him, but they still have two other Earth, you know, another pair. So it seemed like they did want pairs, because everything else was male-female, mm-hmm. except for Clores. So why did they keep him around? He's obviously not going to better reproduce, so... I guess he'll be the limited run. He'll be the special edition of the zoo. You know, come see him yeah. before he dies. <laughs> so. Limited, limited time only. That's right. Um, Maybe they're gonna buy another one off of eBay, Space eBay. <laughs> well, they're I guess they're like on safari. They're not the zookeepers so much as they're out gathering the animals. They could come back and I'll hand them over, I guess, to whoever on their planet has the zoo. I forget today. Did any of them say how long they were captive? They they didn't say. I think they said... Well, they did say that the two that are actually turned out to be the keepers have been there the longest. 
So I guess they were there. When the others showed up, they could say, well, we were here, you know, we were captured and... Um, and, um, and they, didn't, they didn't really explain why they're... I mean, it's up to Koenig. Koenig says, well, what better way to, to uh, um, observe someone than to be amongst them? Mm-hmm. And But that's his, you know, his theory. They don't actually come out and say why they're doing it. They were just, you know, maybe they were bored. I don't know. You know, it's a long trip back home, but... And then, of course, of course, I mean, Koenig springs his, uh, his theory that why, how he figured it out and that he worked, I guess he worked it out with Coors and that, uh, it's odd that in, let's see, okay, well, he explains to him that he figured out who they were. They still have a gun on him. He has his gun, but he says, okay, go ahead, uh, it's your say, ship. We're not going to stop. Yeah, it's your, you're right. Yeah. It says, go ahead. It's your ship. Um, and they say that's uh, that's being inte- you know that's smart of you you know because we got the upper hand and they make some crack about you know you have to let the animals know who's the boss and of course that's when uh, Cag comes in and kind of gives them a uh, literally a one-two punch from uh, all of his arms uh, and he's what says five knuckles is master <laughs> and that's it you know he knocks out the I think it's Silray knocks him out and then of course Jalen's the disarmed. And then Bergman gets to go back, and the next, the, the, you know, that bottom panel, he already, he's already, uh, uh, they're either, that's their plotting to go back to Moonbase, so they've got back to Moonbase. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of short-sighted for Moonbase Alpha to be the first stop. Well, he doesn't no know where the... Yeah, where the others come from. Well, yeah. wouldn't they be closest to Moonbase Alpha? Since Probably, they were the last that's, ones collected. That's true, they picked them yeah, up last. that's true, that is true. Yeah. Why not? Why not set it for Earth? But then again, he'd be abandoning everybody else from Moonbase Alpha. That's hmm. true. And then we get this last little. Here's your Star Trek moment. Uh, yeah, Brian at the very top where uh, it's Clores and and Kak are like uh, they each calling one calls him buddy, one calls him pal, and Connor's got that kind of rolling his eyes look like, oh, you know, what am I gonna do with these two? <laughs> uh, yeah. Then we got the, you know. The more touching like moment with Russell and uh, they've, they've got the uh, the other energy guy, uh, the husband's back. So, yeah. she got a sunburn from him, didn't she? Well, <laughs> and that's not the, that's in my book too. So unless unless this is a scan of my book, <laughs> uh, that's that's just the printing that they did. Yeah. Just, yeah well, they, I mean, they, I think they were trying to make the the coloring a different shade since she was face to face with with them but uh it just came out wrong yeah <laughs> well the thing is is that one of the the things here that you probably don't realize the trouble there is in re- printing three different versions of yellow because you've got her hair you've got the one that's the bright yellow and then the other one that's lighter mm-hmm. and yeah. that cannot be easy in a four color book to sit there and, and get that like because you, you'll notice in a lot of the Marvel books of the day that all the reds are the same color red, all the yellows are the same color yellow. Uh, anybody that's African-American, they all have the same shade of skin color. You know, there's well, no differentiation. I know this from my graphic design days that you can, if you're printing, we would design stuff and it says three, three color. You've got three colors, but you can do mm-hmm. different shades and tones and it doesn't right. It doesn't count as an additional color, so you can add white or black to something to change it, but 
to your point, it may, it's still easier if it's all either because right. you know they've got to do plates for them, so it's all one color. It's easier, right? Because like the bottom two panels, you've got the 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 jets coming out of the rock, the spaceship. You've got the the contrail or whatever as it's going away, and then you got her hair, and all of those are the same color, color. yellow. Yeah. So there there was something different that was done on that middle panel, and that's probably why the facial color is so off. But I I could be wrong there, but that that just strikes me as unusual the way the the way that was done. I'd say that the color plates were different for the bottom panels versus that middle panel. Me. Yeah. And as the ship takes off, we get a little, uh, a little, you know, a little message from Russell that no matter what the person looks like, you know, she calls it a good soul is formless uh, into any size, shape, or color. Uh, message, was that a Kirk? You know? Was that a Kirk or McCoy line? I don't know. That might be a McCoy line. It, it would and be then, probably then, they would share then, it back and forth. But if it was McCoy, he'd go. You know, I was just thinking, good soul is formless. It fits any size, shape, or color of container. Except those damn green-blooded Vulcans. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that would be Spock would. McCoy would give his little line, and Spock would come up and say, "Doctor, you are a, you know, you know." He would give him kind of a backhanded compliment about uh, about human compassion. Yep. <laughs> and that's the end of our story. Now I didn't. There's some stuff at the end called the space sirens. I didn't read that. Well, it, I did want to point out one other thing. The I don't know what the. That is. The second to last panel, of course, is the the ship taking off, and I love the 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 rising smoke from from Moonbase Moon Alpha dust. there. Yeah. The way he, the way he's done that, and of course, the perspective of which he's done that, and of course, everything else is beat is Barry Windsor Smith here, black with stars. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> well, I assume that Bergman has taught. Okay, he he piloted back to Moonbase. Mm-hmm. And I assume he told the rest, okay, this is how you fly the ship. And I hope you know what your address is. Because if I was captured, I would know how to get back to Earth. So I hope <laughs> that they right. somehow know where they're going. Or is this just, it's going to be this wacky adventure with Chloris and Cack and the rest of them as they speed well, off, you know. Just think, think about, back think about, the, your, uh, think yeah, about your Google Maps. Think about yeah. your Google Maps. Because you can go to your Google Maps right now and see every place that you've been. So I'm sure they've got it in their ship's computers, the the direction they came from before. They'd have to, yeah, they'd have to backtrack it, I guess. Yeah, but he should. Oh. He if, if he was able to figure out that this much and figure out how to get home, he's going to be able to figure out how to show them to get to their places. There's, he's not going to just leave them, you know, without being able to do that. Just my well, opinion. I could be. But wrong. they say they're going to go back to the home planet of the of the. Saray and Cora. They're going to take them back, I guess, and say, hey, you know, we figured out what you guys are doing. Don't do it again. And then I guess they're going to drop them off and take the ship back and drop themselves off. So whoever gets the ship last is going to get the ship. You know, whoever gets to be the last uh, uh, That's, I mean, you know, on Star Trek, they wouldn't let that happen, would they? I mean, that's that's akin to breaking the Prime Directive. I mean, because if if it was CAG, uh, I mean, that's like, you know, again, giving fire to the caveman. Well, the caveman, they don't seem, as primitive as they are, they don't seem to be shocked by advanced technology, so. True, um, true, is, but I mean, no... again, their weapon of choice was a club. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there was no, I don't think there was anything like a prime directive for uh, 
Uh, no. Space 1999. They didn't have any kind of... Uh, they definitely didn't follow a prime directive. They no. were interrupting a lot of stuff in this series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so oh, did, what, you uh, read, did, did you read the Space Sirens thing? I that, started the... to, but it wasn't Burn, and I uh, I, I lost interest, so I stopped. So I and this, is... this artwork here is Joe Staten, isn't it? Is it? Uh, ooh. If it's Joe Staten, it's... It's rough. Yeah. It doesn't it's look very like rough. Yeah, um, I don't know that it is. It probably it could be. Uh, I read the story. It's just a little short story, just a little brief adventure taking place in a jungle, and they 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 land on a planet that they, they that's idyllic and beautiful, and they think it's gonna, uh, but there's no people on it, and of course Helena Russell's like, wow, that's interesting. There's no there's no other life on here. Um, <laughs> And then turns out that the plants are sentient of some sort, and they're going to try to lure them in, and I guess eat them or decompose them. So uh, they shoot at the roots and escape. It's the Great Vegetable Rebellion from Lost in Space. And basically, <laughs> yeah. You guys may have noticed that uh, we did lose Kirk a second time, and he did not return. Uh, he did have some family business to, to attend to, but... Uh, he was having computer problems, so... Yeah, that too, but... Uh, or, or he's been abducted, and he's on his way to... He's in a space zoo right now. Yes. <laughs> At least he'll have a plan on how to get out. But he does plan yeah. to join us next week if we uh, continue on our coronavirus lockdown uh, extravaganza. I've, we're going to have company next week, so next week may not work for me, because I so. Well, I've been putting together a couple ideas, and I'll run them by everybody offline on, on what we want to do. Okay. Um, but uh, I was sitting there, and I'm trying to remember something I wanted to bring up. Uh, but I don't have anything. We need that. to now, get uh, Super Dave back on. How long has it been since he's he He's been on? expressed interest in getting onto a show, but he, you know, he, the thing is, is like he's got all family at home all the time. And it's it's making it difficult for him to, especially on on Sunday Sundays. I can see that, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so I, I mean, because I believe his his wife is taking care of the kids for the most time during the week, and he's trying to give her a break on the weekends. And you know, the kids are at that age where they are just a handful. Um, if you read Mike Zumo's posts about his kids, they're driving him nuts too uh it's and you know i mean my son's 13 he's pretty self-sufficient you know we've taught him to be self-sufficient but you know it's like he's just constantly coming in on us hey can i do this hey can i do that can i have this money can i have that money can i buy this can i buy that answer is no yeah. no go mow a lawn yeah yeah <laughs> earn that money yeah oh definitely he's uh and and he's pretty mercenary it's funny because like if someone else says hey i'll pay you this much money to mow my lawn he's like i'm there but if i say hey bougie are you gonna are you gonna mow our lawn and he's like what what <laughs> mow the lawn so, yeah but we yeah but we've got it we actually have a guy that mows our lawn and i gotta say uh congratulations ramiro his wife gave birth to a little baby girl a couple days ago um, and so actually our, our yard did not get mowed this week <laughs> oh, well. and it's been raining like crazy I yeah my my uh, my mom said back and she you know 
back in Denton, but she's not too far from here, so it's just been rain, raining like left and right. Yeah, the last couple days have been really, really nuts. I've had to go out and check the house and make sure everything's okay because uh, it was blowing all the branches off the trees, mm. um, and and the lightning and thunder was just insane. Um, because we were, we it's funny. Uh, we finally sat down and watched um, uh, Tiger King on Netflix, and uh, did, did the lightning and thunder just kept interrupting. We actually would have to sit there and back up and play over because we couldn't hear over it. Wow! But uh, yeah, Tiger King is definitely a dumpster fire car wreck of a of a documentary. It's it's just insane. And what makes it even worse? Did you, have you guys watched this? I have heard bits of it. I haven't watched any of it. No, I'm not watching it. But you've heard of this guy, Joe Exotic, (laughs) the the guy that ran the zoos up in Oklahoma, the zoo up in Oklahoma that had hundreds of tigers there, along with lions and other big cats. Mm -hmm. And uh, my brother had met him a while back when they had the tornado hit over there. And it was around the same time Sharknado was on. So all the news called it Tigernado. and my my brother uh, he he did not have kind things to say about 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 uh, Joe Exotic. Of course, Joe Exotic is now in prison uh, on on a murder for hire plot. So watch that doc. It, it is like I said, it's a dumpster fire car wreck. But you spend the entire time watching, it going, "Oh my God, what am I watching?" <laughs> seven seven hours, and then there's an eighth hour uh, follow up with uh, Joel McHale. Uh, that's, that's um, seven hours of my life. I'm not going to give up for that. Um, okay. Now another <laughs> show I watched uh, that we that we binge watched was Upload, with uh, um, Stephen Amell's brother Robbie. I saw that, but I haven't watched any of it. It's and that is, it, it is a comedy. It is so messed up. The concepts that they come up with that are just insane. And you know, it, it's it's uh, really interesting. The characters are compelling too. Robbie is uh, very uh, charismatic in there, and the female that they got in that um, the romantic foil is uh, uh, interesting. But uh, yeah, it, it, and, and the first season's out there, and it's I think that's on Amazon Prime. And yeah. uh, that that's uh, that that was a, a fun show and uh, interesting interesting concepts. Um, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's what we've been doing with our spare time is binge watching stuff like that. My wife is watching; she's um, started with the Masterpiece Theater streaming service, so she can go back and watch all the Masterpiece Theater stuff, except for I Claudius, which is not available, which is a bummer. Is somebody sewing in the background? No. Oh, I'm sorry. I've got a fidget spinner that I found. Oh in no, my no, drawer. it's okay. It's, it awesome sounds exactly it. like somebody running a sewing machine. No, is, is this what you're talking about? This right here. Or was it when I was doing it on the table? That, like that. that, that sound. Okay, yeah. That sound, just Sorry. like a sewing machine. Oh, no worries, yeah. no worries. No, I, well, I, uh, I was looking for my iPod, and I came across three different fidget spinners, and I might have been spinning them during the day. But, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, is there anything else you wanted to cover before we no, go? No, I just, uh, final, you got some final thoughts on this, uh, John? You know, it's fun. I, I love the Space 1989 series. I probably wish I, I probably think if I was a, if I had seen these on the stand, I would have picked them up just because it was Space 1999. It was cool adventures. Uh, my only my only thought is if these are in canon with the TV series, that's seven less eagles <laughs> at some point. <laughs> they've got, you know, they've got, they either have an unlimited supply of eagles, this, this kind of the same way Voyager had shuttles, or 
Uh, they are just mass producing those. Yeah, exactly. Guys, they got a 3D printer. It's okay. <laughs> exactly. They probably could. <laughs> you know, the, the, the way I looked at it was that, and, and to me, it felt more like a, a Star Trek episode without Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And because I didn't really watch Space 1999, and, and, and even watching the, the one I did you know, a month ago, it didn't really stick with me enough that I felt anything about the characters. But like I said, I have more of a Star Trek experience than, than, than anything else. Saying all that, I can tell that, you know, th with the book, they knew that they could ex explore vistas that they couldn't necessarily do on a TV series. And so Byrne got to take a lot of license with that and creating all the characters that he did and the androids and such. So it, it was, uh, of course, enjoyable to see all that and see the early burn um, organic work on all that. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wish, like like you said, that they would reprint this and touch it up and you know remaster it, so to speak, so that we can you know get a really good idea of what they were shooting for because it's it's piecemeal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's sometimes it's 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 nice to see this as an artifact because you get to see. You know, to John's point, this exact this scan looks like what his book looks like. Like, so it look it's it's kind of nice to as a peek to see what it was like to grab something off the the newsstand back then. Yeah. Now the um, the copy that's on the web, uh, and we'll put the link on in the show notes. Um, let me see here. That's from MarsWillSendNoMore.wordpress.com. Um, they did an article back in 2013, and they've got not just this episode, uh, issue, but I think all of them uh, reproduced on this thing. So you can go in there and click on each page and look at all of them. And so somebody can follow along as they're listening to our show. Yes, and and so that yeah, they can do that. But it, the thing is, it looks like it's made from the exact same digital copy that we're all uh, looking at right now. If you're looking at a digital copy, it's probably the only one that exists other than a physical copy. Yeah. Well, cool. Because um, I think I got these from Scott McGregor, and I'm pretty sure he got those off the Pirate Bay. Yeah, I think I got mine from you. So, yeah, <laughs> we're just all handing handing them out. Oh, uh, hey, you know, I, I happened to just uh, was getting ready to close my physical copy. I'm sure this is in the scan, and uh, I closed that already. But uh, there's a subscription ad in the Charl in the book there, dollar fifty per title. Charlton had a lot of books <laughs> that they yeah. were printing. Uh, Blondie, Flint, they, they did a whole animated series, romance series, mysteries, oh, Western, hey. War, and then Special Adventure, which was Space 1999, Korg, House of Yang. <laughs> hey, John, take a quick look at the cover of your floppy. Uh-huh. And uh, below the Charlton logo... Is it UK10P? Is it a? Uh, this is a British copy that uh, the uh, CBR is made from. Oh yeah, mine says UK10P. All, uh, all of okay. my copies do. But it still has a barcode down there in the stamp. Okay. Oh, it says twenty-five cents up at the in the in the logo. Yeah, it's it got twenty-five, 25 cents, cents up there. Yeah. yeah. There's no Canadian though. That's weird. Uh, and let me see. Maybe they were just doing this uh, so that when they ship them overseas these must have been ones that they actually intended to ship overseas rather than old marvel books which ended up as ballast weights yeah 
It's interesting that the uh, the UPC code, if you look at it, it's zero one two three four five six seven eight nine. Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> not even a legitimate UPC. That's yeah, that's probably bogus. Hey, and no, it's not on on issue four. It's nine eight seven six five four three two one. <laughs> okay, and here's the other thing. This is definitely from the same scan because if you look at the scan on the the front cover, you've got. Um, spine roll and other damage up on the top left corner mm -hmm. and the one they've got on that uh, that web page has that exact same physical damage okay so on the cover so well, it's not my copy because i don't have that damage yeah <laughs> that would have been wouldn't that be funny if it was well this it's is interesting a lot if of you fun. look in the the indicia it says this was published bi-monthly too this wasn't even a monthly book yeah this was right. a lot of fun going back in. It was a lot of fun, yeah. Um, you know, I we've been we doing can... so much, uh, so much of, of Marvel in the past couple weeks. And of course, you know, being X Men and all that. Um, I've almost kind of got an itch to do some, some Superman, but um, I don't know. What do you think, John? Yes, yeah, Superman, Wonder Woman. That would be fun. Well, do you have any kind of book that you wanted to to pick to go over? Let me think about it. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll catch up offline. Yep. All right. Uh, who wants to take us out? Uh, I'll take us out. Excellent. You brought us, you brought us in, right? I'll take us That's out. Alrighty. Okay. Okay. Well, that's our final thoughts. Uh, so for third degree burn, uh, I am Tim Elliott. I'm Brian Hughes. I'm John Hyatt. Adios. Uh, bye. The totally unforeseen accident on the lunar surface has caused very serious repercussions here on Earth. The gravity disruption, the earthquakes in the United States along the San Andreas Fault and in Yugoslavia, as well as southern France, has caused enormous damage to life and property. The International Lunar Commission, with its new chairman, is in executive conference at this moment, deciding what steps might be taken to rescue the 311 men and women on Moon Base Alpha. Little hope is held, however, that there are any survivors. For a short time, it was thought a rescue might be. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, -E -E and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gotta get burned at gmail.com that's g-o-t-t-a g-e-t-b-y-r-n-e-d at gmail.com drop us a line and tell us how we're doing till next time this has been third degree burn some men aren't looking for anything logical like money they can't be bought bullied reasoned or negotiated with some men just want to watch the world burn